What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Throw the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins. That's David Lake. We are going to talk some Hurricanes today. Um, been an eventful, really, two, three weeks here. Um, Miami dropped to 6-6 six and six on the season after losing uh, at Duke on Saturday. That was after picking up a pair of major commitments in the class of 2020 on Thursday and Friday. Um, so, yeah, it seems like the news never stops on this beat. David, how you doing? How was the holiday? Good holiday. Uh, not a good game on Saturday, of course. We'll get into it. Um, but, yeah, it was nice. Good to spend time with family, have some turkey, all that good stuff. How about you? It's good. It was long. A lot of traveling. Um <laughs> Like, I feel like I'm more exhausted coming out of that than going into it. So, which is probably not a good thing. But let's talk, let's, let's, let's get into this. Let's dive into it. I don't even think we're going to talk really specifics about the game. No one really cares about that right now. Um, nah. My big question for you, David what the hell happened to Miami's offense? Where did it go against FIU? Where did it go against Duke? Um, just what happened? Yeah. I mean, that. <laughs> There's a lot of layers to this, right? So I think the first thing to address, and I think it is a a real uh, point that happened in the game, and it, it's definitely mattered, is the injuries on the offensive line, right? So Miami's starting five offensive line already is, you know, probably below average if we're being realistic, especially when... They're going against, you know, we hinted going into this game on the website, like Duke's pass rush is legitimate. Don't overlook Duke's pass rush. So when the starting five offensive line is going against a defensive front that has a good pass rush, they're going to struggle. They're going to look bad. So on top of that, you know, Miami sustained some injuries during the game and they had to turn to their uh sixth offensive lineman who got hurt as well so then Miami had to turn to their seventh offensive offensive lineman and then they ended the game with their eighth offensive lineman with Zalante Hillary and Kylie on Herbert uh getting some run so once that happened uh Duke certainly smelled blood in the water they turned up their pressures and essentially they were just toying with Miami's offensive line from you know, midway through the second quarter on. Uh, they could get pressure on Jaron Williams whenever they wanted. Jaron Williams did not handle the pressure very well. I think he was watching the rush, you know, for the majority of the game. And he was zeroing in on Will Mallory, only Will Mallory, for much of the game. And once Duke made that adjustment and, you know, slid some coverages over to Will Mallory made sure to jam him at the line of scrimmage at times. Uh, You know, that kind of took him away as a pass-catching threat. Um, And, you know, Jaron, frankly, did not play well either. I don't know if the rain had anything to do with it. I mean, I'm sure it did. It's harder to throw a wet ball, of course, because it's slick. It's it's heavier, too. Um, And Jaron just looked like during the game he didn't really want to throw anywhere, but you know, on the middle of the field or short passes. And, you know, was that due to the the rain, the wet ball, all of that? It's hard to say. Also, you know, Miami's running back, Cam Davis, got hurt in the middle of the second quarter. They brought in Robert Burns, who tried, you know, but he's not talent-wise on, on a level of what you would expect a Miami uh, lead running back to be. So... They got hit by a lot of injuries. Uh, Dan Enos probably didn't manage the game well as a play caller uh, on top of all this once those injuries started happening. Um, And yeah, it was just a complete mess. Another embarrassing loss. Uh, That's two games in a row where the offense has just looked inept. And it, it ends the regular season with a lot of question marks moving forward. And you know, we'll get into it here, but Manny Diaz certainly, in my mind, he hasn't really held back in, in letting it be known that he is unhappy with the offense and says he's going to be searching for answers. Uh, 
And, you know, he's even been asked multiple times by the media since that Duke game, uh, you know, are you going to evaluate your coaching staff? And he's kind of said, yeah, we're going to look at everything. Um, You know, he's kind of, if you read between the lines, it seems like he's talking mostly about the offensive coaching staff because he will go out of his way to still defend the defense, the way the defense is playing and the defensive coaching staff. So it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, I wouldn't expect any changes to happen until after the early signing period. So Miami needs to hold this recruiting class together. And then we'll see if changes are made after the bowl game, probably. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? Do you think (laughs) changes on offense need to be made in terms of system, uh, scheme, offensive coordinator, leadership, all that kind of stuff? Quarterback play, even? Well, something's got to change. Something's absolutely got to change. Miami, uh, I just had the numbers in front of me. Um, You know, it's bad. Hold on, let me pull them up because I was ready to, I was ready to roll them off, and then, and then I got stuck looking at something else. That's that's on me. Uh, oh come on, where are they? So they're one thirtieth out of one thirty in third down conversions. They're one hundred twentieth in rushing, one hundred twentieth in red zone offense. 90th in total offense and 73rd in scoring offense. Like my takeaway now that we're 12 games into Dan Enos's um, tenure as the offensive coordinator is that this unit really isn't that much better than last year's offense. Like this team and this program to me still lives and dies by how, how many turnovers the defense can produce because the offense is simply, uh, Unable to sustain drives on a consistent basis and move the ball, like yes, I, I, right. Like that's what it boils down to. I think if Miami, the defense played good enough this year for Miami to be nine and three or ten and two, and like that is an absolute fact. And like I will argue that all day. I mean, Diaz said it after the Duke game. There was a time in that game when Miami was pretty handily in control. I think they're up what seventeen thirteen, and all they needed was the offense to score another another put, uh, touchdown and then, and then kind of put that thing away. The FIU game, the offense never got going. And then at some point, that defense is just going to stop playing. The same thing, I think, um, has has happened in the past in other seasons. Uh, The Virginia Tech game, go to that game. I I mean, what do you want the defense to do when the offense is is spotting you three interceptions? So uh, I think something absolutely needs to change. What exactly? I think the easy one that everyone's pointing to is the offensive coordinator. And to be honest, man, if you listen to what Joe Rose said, uh, or what Manny said on the Joe Rose show Monday morning, it seems like there's definitely going to be some something's yeah. going to change there. Either there's going to be a new offensive coordinator or Dan Enos has to go sp- spread or speed things up because Ma- Manny it seems to have put that entire Duke game on Enos, correct? Right. I, I agree. I think the writing is probably on the wall um, that – you know, most likely changes will be made to the offensive staff in some capacity. Uh, I think, you know, we do need to give Danny Eno's credit in terms of I think the quarterbacks have improved. I think they have developed under his tutelage. Um, but like you touched on, is the offense overall better? I think maybe marginally better than last year. Uh, because the run game is honestly worse. Uh, the passing game is better. The run game's worse. Um, and, you know, if if Manny does decide to make changes with the offensive coordinator, I think the two stats he's going to point to are the third down conversion, ranking 130th in the country, um, and then the worse red than- zone. Yeah, worse in the country. And then the red zone production. And honestly, like, those two stats come down to your offensive coordinator. It comes down to execution. Uh, you know, it's up to the offensive coordinator to get the players to execute in those money downs. And, you know, play calling matters in those situations too. Um, and so I think Manny Diaz is just, if he does make a change, he points to those two numbers and says, you know, it, it, it simply wasn't good enough. And look, we got to understand, too, like the heat is on Manny right now. Like he's not 
going to sit back and and run it back I one more year, in my opinion. I think he knows to save his job, he has to make changes. So I, I, I fully expect changes to be made. I'm interested to see which direction he goes. I mean, we can get into this now, I guess. Oh, yeah, let's... I would... I would like to see them go spread. Right. And that's what I was going to say. All right. So we both agree something's got to change. They cannot do that again. Um, we could sit here and talk about how some of the decisions that were made were mind boggling, like rolling with the offense, offense and all the play actions when you don't have a run game that's respected in any way. Um, I mean, the offensive line did get better, but that was never a strength of the team. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's talk. I, I like the, I like the spread too. My question is, why do you want spread? Why do you think they need to go yeah. spread? And then I'll kind of touch on that. So I think, look, I don't, I am not a play calling guy. I'm not, I think any play can work if it is executed. What I care about with an offensive coordinator is his overall philosophy and his personnel usage, right? So in my opinion, Miami's offensive personnel up and down the roster is spread offensive offense personnel. You got to start with your offensive line. Miami's offensive line is not very good. In order to run a pro-style offense, you need a good offensive line. A spread offense, one of the benefits of running a spread offense is that it somewhat hides your offensive line. It allows it to look better than it maybe actually is. It, it forces your offense to get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, you know, a lot of spreads run tempo. So the hope when that happens is it tires out a pass rush um, when you do that. And look, I think there's this notion too that if Miami goes to a spread offense, then they'll lose their identity as a team that runs the ball and produces NFL level running backs. And honestly, that's just not true. You look at spread offenses around the country now, they run the ball much better than Miami did this year. Um, and the reason is a lot of spread offenses now simply play numbers games. So it's a very simplified type of offense. If, if you have the numbers advantage in a box, if it's a light box, then in a spread offense, you're going to run the ball. If if the box is heavy, then you're going to throw the ball to your receivers. So I think from a personnel standpoint, it fits what Miami has. I think, too, it's just it's an easier offense for these players to know. Um, you know, Dan Enos runs a complicated offense. And I think, too, it's fair to say at times, even this later portion of the season, the receivers kind of seem still confused about what to do. And, you know, their route running at times is not crisp. Is that because they are playing with hesitancy and don't fully understand what to do on some of the plays that are called? I think one way to fix that is run a spread offense that runs, you know, a very basic route tree and allows your players to play fast. So those those are just my overall thoughts on why, again, I don't care about play calling. I don't. But I think systematically, schematically, identity-wise, personnel usage, Miami right now is built for the spread. Absolutely. And I can touch on, kind of dive into some of those things. But the biggest one for me is... Uh, the ability to mask a bad offensive line. And let's be real. The state of Florida does not produce top offensive linemen every year. Um, and the 2020 cycle is probably one of the better years in state for the offensive line. And Miami's kind of really striking out there. I, I know they're going to get Jalen Rivers from up in Jacksonville, but uh, they missed out on Isaiah Walker. They missed out on Gerald Mincy. Uh, they missed, uh, They don't like Jonathan Dennis for whatever reason. Uh, Connor McLaughlin over in the Tampa area. They, they're missing out on all those guys. And yeah. um, I, I think there's there's certain people in this state where you could ju- you should be able to just take them and kind of 
see if they're going to, they would fit a lot better in a spread offense, if that would make sense. Like a, a, a Chris Love, who's a kid out of American Heritage. I think he's currently committed to USF. Like he's a smaller, uh, more athletic guard type. I think if you take five of those guys and, and a Jonathan Dennis, and then you take five every cycle, you'll eventually ha- have five that you can start on your offensive line. So I, I just think the spread would make so much sense from a recruiting standpoint. And, and, and everyone also point out that there's so much speed down here. Why not utilize it? And I do think that you can make that argument to a, gr- a degree. I think Pro Football Focus just came out with their uh, national team of the year. And Tutu Atwell, the Louisville water re- wide receiver, was on it. I mean, he's a kid who was at uh, Miami Northwestern, a, a one-time FAU commit that ended up signing at Louisville that Miami never even looked at. So uh, I, I definitely think spread is the kind of the way to go. My, my question for you yeah. now do you think Enos could implement more spread into it, uh, or they got to go full new offensive coordinator? I mean, I think Enos is what he is. Um, so I think they need, if they feel like they want to get away from this style of offense, they need to change the coordinator too. Um, you know, I just think, and I think it goes both ways. Like, I think this is a bad fit. Uh, for Miami's personnel and I think it's you know Miami's personnel is a bad fit for Dan Enos as well Um, so I I honestly think in the long run it's probably best for Dan Enos to move on and and try a new challenge at a at a place that can help him run his system too so I don't think that's the way to go either (laughs) okay I think we're on the same page there now, I know this is all hypothetical thinking. We, have, we, we don't know if Manny's going to make a change like this. Um, and we both said that we want spread. Who are some, some names that you think would, would kind of work? Um, because in my opinion, if Manny were to change Dan Enos uh, or, or were to make a change there, this would be the easiest way to fix your current issue. Yes, You're going to return talent next year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You just need to find an offensive system that works. So your dream candidate pool, who's kind of at the front? Yeah, so again, we are doing hypothetical. We're just, nothing's happening yet. Uh, We're just throwing names against a wall, right? But there are some quality names out there already. And even like, you know, looking back to when Manny was going through his offensive coordinator search uh, last year, I think it's fair to once again bring up Larry Fedora. I think he's probably trying to get back to being a head coach. But if that doesn't work out, I think you try and make that happen again. I think Chad Morris at Arkansas, the former Arkansas head coach, would be a very intriguing uh, option as well. Um, He's at like Manny Diaz definitely looks up to Dabo Swinney and the way he built Clemson into a national power. And you could make an argument that Dabo doesn't get that done without Chad Morris being his offensive coordinator. Uh, does Manny want to go and explore that route? I think Brian Wright was a guy, who the Toledo offensive coordinator, whose name bubbled up in the last offensive coordinator search. And then you've, you've suggested to me uh, privately, Andrew, an option that you find intriguing uh, at UCF, right? Yeah, and that's Jeff Levy. I think he's... The quarterbacks coach slash co-offensive coordinator, um, you know, Josh Heupel, the head coach there, has a lot of hand in that offense. But he's a guy who was previously at Baylor, kind of got caught up in that whole Kendall Bri- or Art Bryles thing, uh, ended up at Southeastern, which is an NAIA um, kind of outside of Lakeland, uh, and then has made his way over to UCF. And he seems to be uh, very involved in that offense, has a hand in the offense. I just think... He would be a realistic kind of not cheap option, but um, no, he is some, compared to these yeah. guys I named. Like, yeah, I just he's not he's not going to be a million dollar coordinator, and I think that's that matters to be honest. Right, 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 right. And I just think he's someone who would come in and and go full spread and and probably be a little bit of a not a yes man, but um, it, it wouldn't. I mean, I've had a, a, maybe a 20 minute conversation with Jeff Levy, but I think he would come in and uh, not butt heads with Manny Diaz. And I'm not saying that that seems to be the issue with, with Manny and Dan Enos, but 
uh, I could definitely see some some tension that has has developed there. So I think he'd be an interesting option. You know, he knows how to recruit spread offensive linemen. He knows what to do with speed. They play extremely fast. And I just think in this day and age of college football, you have to score points. Like yeah. you got you got to score points. And I think he's a guy who could probably um, get that job done. Uh, on, uh, well, honestly, like there's a lot more names out there too. Like and like you're alluding to, like offensive football. You boil it down pretty simply. Who's getting yards? Who's getting points? It's all about production, man. Like, nothing else matters. And so, hopefully, if if Manny does end up going in, in this type of direction, all you got to do is pull up uh, NCAA.org and, and look at the teams that are scoring points and getting yards and, you know, get to know those offensive coordinators and their resumes. So, tell me this, Andrew. If... Miami does go to a spread and again we're getting way ahead of ourselves uh, because honestly we don't even know like what his status with the team is right now but what do you think that could mean maybe with Tate Martell in Miami does that intrigue you at all him running a true spread offense like a UCF style offense absolutely and that kind of leads to uh, another candidate I have off the top of my head and that is uh Rich Rodriguez, the offensive coordinator at uh, yeah. Ole Miss. Um, we saw what he did, and you, you were the one that first brought this up to me, and the more I've thought about it and marinated on, uh, marinated on it, the more I like it. Uh, what he did with John Rice uh, Plumley in terms of running the ball. Like, you're telling me Tate Martell's not somewhere near as, as athletic as that? So, yeah, I, I think if you go spread, that puts Tate Martell right back into the conversation. And this will this leads right into something else we were talking about. I mean... Go back to spring football. How much of a waste was that for Miami's offense, right? Like yeah. Tate Martell going under center. Like what What did Miami accomplish in the spring? Because I really don't know. Right. I mean, that. this comes back to like one thing, one of my pet peeves with, with college coaches in general is when they force their players to play within their system rather than build a system to the strength of their players. So, like, I, I think I mentioned this to you, Andrew, but, like, one of the images that is just funny in my head that I, I think about every now and then is in the spring, seeing Tate Martell under center with Navon Donaldson playing center. And it's just, like, Navon Donaldson bent over is still way bigger than Tate Martell under center and, like, standing up and, like... This just isn't going to work. It was an embarrassing showing for Tate at Traz Pal when, you know, he was still trying to learn the footwork and he was tripping on rollouts and, and, you know, with his dropbacks and all that. But, yeah, I mean, I much prefer a coach to, to identify the strengths of his players and build your system around those strengths. Like, why are we trying to address weaknesses at the college level? Like, at the college level... All these guys have weaknesses, but they also all have strengths. And so in the limited time you get to work with these guys in college, in my mind, you need to really work on maximizing these strengths. Absolutely. Um, another side tangent that I have here listed in the notes, and I think we should just bring this up just because it's probably going to anger Miami fans a little bit. But I, I, I mentioned this to you. Going back to spring football, Jeremiah Payton is a guy I've heard that has done very well in practices um, th- this mm-hmm. season, and I know you've heard the same. And it, it just to me, it's like why why hasn't he been playing? Like, right. And it's frustrating too because like Manny keeps bringing up after this Duke game that uh, you know one of the reasons why they lost was because the receivers couldn't separate from you know pretty basic man to man coverage. Uh, well, we're hearing that Jeremiah Payton in some of these practices looks like he's on par with a lot of these starting receivers. Um, so why aren't we seeing him? You know, I understand they want to redshirt him, but are they using even these red shirts the right way? I think that's up for fair discussion. Um, and, you know, like he was he was their top uh, rated signee from last year, right? Yeah. I don't know. So, it's just it's maybe like, more... why, why are they not playing him? I don't know. It's, but yeah, yeah like I more, mean, more big picture issues. I think with the offense is kind of my thing. Or 
Right. If it if it if he can't learn the offense, then isn't that an issue? I mean, this is a guy who was there for spring right. football. That's my point too. Yeah. Like with Enos and his offense, like if if like Mark Pope is having problems still totally grasping the whole offense, is that Mark Pope's fault or is that, you know, your system and your scheme's fault? I don't know. I just yeah. think it's worth thinking about. All right. Final thing on the offense, and this is oof, this is this will be an interesting one. I already know your answer. Uh, Miami's got to bring in a graduate transfer quarterback, right? Yes, they need to. I think, like, I I don't trust Jaron anymore after those FIU and Duke performances. And I would imagine Manny feels the same way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think now it can't be a guy that has no shot at beating out Jaron Williams. It still has to be a guy who is good enough to start in my mind. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're going to see, I think more and more good options at quarterback hit the transfer portal over the next, you know, six to eight weeks. And Miami needs to pounce on those. Yeah. I mean, again, I think if they go spread, it definitely brings Tate Martell back into, yeah, um, he's brings in the him back again. in, right? Uh, and who knows? I mean, Nikosi Perry could say, I- "I'm fed up with this," uh, and leave. So then you're down to two. I just, I think, again, this is something else that Manny almost kind of hinted at when he was on Joe Rose. Like, it was kind of his mo. Well, we're going to evaluate everything, and we're not ruling anything out. So to me, that means um, that they might look at look at some guys and. Uh, Monday's already been, we're taping this midday Monday and there's like, I think there's already been like 25 players that have entered the transfer portal. Felipe Franks was a guy who entered on Sunday, uh, the, the Florida quarterback. I don't think he necessarily fits what Miami wants to do or, or whatnot, but I think there's going to be some options. Um, but I mean, you can't really go in for someone until you have an offensive coordinator or you establish that Dan is going to be the guy. But I think. Our point is we are not sold on Jaron moving forward, right? Like, yeah. And uh, what do you think the issue with him is? Like, is it he just gets complacent and he's not focusing? He wasn't game planning for, uh, I don't know, man. I think that's the easiest answer, but it might just be it. I don't know. Like, he looked so good against Florida State and Louisville, of course, and you know, I, I don't know. I honestly, like, against FIU, the offensive line was not the issue. He had plenty of time to operate against FIU, and he just, he wasn't picking up what FIU was doing coverage-wise, I guess. And then against Duke, he just, you know, he lost his head because he knew once those offensive linemen went down, uh, his day was about to get really, really bad. And it's what happened. But... You know, the thing I brought up about Jaron before that I think we all need to watch is, you know, when things get tough, when there's a little bit of adversity, whether it's a slow start to a game or, or, or whatever, how does he respond? Is he is he going to keep fighting and pushing his way through to pull out a tough win? Um, I don't know. And I think, too... It's worth bringing up, you know, look, man, he walked out on the team going into Pittsburgh. He did end up winning that game. But does that hamper his ability to be a real leader at the quarterback position? I would say probably yes. Um, And so to that point, you know, when things aren't going good, if a guy, if Jaron tries to rally the troops, so to speak, during those types of games, are his teammates going to roll their eyes and be like, oh, yeah, the guy who walked out on practice is now trying to rally us? I think that could be a potential issue. I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you've been on a team before, you right. would certainly understand that. I'm, some, certain guys I'm not saying that's going on. I'm just speaking like... You know, we know how team dynamics work. Like, this is how it goes. Like, things are good when uh, 
when you're balling out throwing six touchdowns in a game, but when a little adversity hits, you know, some of those, you know, hey, you walked out on us going into Pittsburgh type feelings might bubble up again. So I don't know. I I just I have a lot of concerns with Jaron moving forward. He has talent, there's no doubt. I just wonder about his maturity, focus, ability to lead, those types of things uh, concern me with him moving forward. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add this, this thought in. I don't really know if Manny Diaz deserves all the blame for it, how, how it played out. But when he came in, he said he wanted to fix the quarterback room and make it better than it, it was. Yeah. And like right now, is it really mu- that much better than it was? when he took over the job like i know from a leadership standpoint i would say no it's not um you know we touched on jaron i mean tate martell's in and out of being with the team or not i mean kind of the it's weird but the model citizen this season has no doubt been nikosi perry right um <laughs> who they don't and, seem to like at all right manny just doesn't seem to be a fan um so yeah i mean you know you got that position matters so much and you got to have a leader there and they don't have that at all amongst the guys who could be playing. So, well, one other name we do need to mention, well, I guess two names. I, I it's I know it's been asked about but they haven't really said anything about how Peyton Matocha has done running the scout team offense. I haven't heard anything either as well. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's I've heard it's fine, but, you know, he needs time. Uh-huh. That's what I've heard. Right. And then the other one everyone's going to ask about is Tyler Van Dyke, the four-star quarterback they have committed out of Connecticut. Uh, he's expected to enroll early and, and go through spring football. I mean, David, me and you have seen him throw at Paradise Camp. I think some of the newspaper media thought he was an absolute stud and a, a guy that could push and challenge for playing time. Do you realistically think he could um get his name into this conversation i I just kind of want to know your thoughts on that i mean me personally i i think these guys still a year away i mean it it, yeah and the other thing is is what happens if danny enos isn't here well that's you know i think yeah if it's a spread i i mean it's going to be tough for tyler uh you know pocket quarterbacks can still function in a quote-unquote spread but in my opinion, a true spread is most effective if you have that running threat, you know, somewhat of a running threat at quarterback, and Tyler's just not that. Um, I'll say this, though. From an ability and talent standpoint and, like, being ready to dissect college defenses as a true freshman starter, do I think Tyler is ready to do that? In 2020, I would probably say no, but you know, sometimes if you got it, you got it. Who some, knows? He could have it. But I think too, like you know, we're alluding to all these things that are wrong with the quarterback room. I think if Dan Enos does stay, like if he is still around as offensive coordinator, would it shock me to see them turn to Tyler Van Dyke to lead the offense next season? It would not. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the same offensive staff that started two freshmen on the offensive line week one against or week zero right. against Florida. So I could I could see that as well. Do uh, I think it I, would go well, though? I mean, probably not. One final thing I will say why before we we're going to shift into some some real quick recruiting notes. And I, I know I've said that multiple times. Uh, I do think a new offensive coordinator would play right into Manny Diaz's like, yeah how his tenure has gone, right? I could totally see him after the early signing period announcing a new offensive coordinator, and then all we hear for the next six months is how they're going to play a fast brand of football, uh, they're going to score a lot of points, and it's just going to be a hype train. I, I could see that would like fit what he does, right? No doubt. I mean, he, he is a guy who definitely likes to change narratives. And, you know, and look, I do think there's probably substance to changing uh offensive coordinator as well so i think it 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 accomplishes two things and you know right now like i said man that the seat is starting to get hot for him so he knows he knows some things need to change and uh it it certainly does fit 
his ability to go out and get the fan base excited about maybe something else this offseason. He understands the value of doing that. Thoughts on Trayvon Hill not playing in the bowl game? Uh, we've reported that on Sunday, uh, that he's not yeah. going to skip the bowl game. I mean, I think he has every right to do that, if we're being honest. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, you know, he he... I think he put together a solid season. Uh, I think he probably played through some stuff, uh, injury-wise, uh, you know, little nagging type stuff. So, you know, he's going to get healthy and, and go play in the bowl game. And look, when you bring on these one-year transfer type things, like this is kind of how it goes. Like, uh, I'm not saying he doesn't appreciate the university as much as a four-year guy, but. You know, he's not as tied in as like a, a guy who's been here four or five years uh, with Miami. And, you know, he doesn't know these guys as well as, as some of those guys, too. So, you know, I, I just think this is part part of the thing you need to expect when you when you hit the transfer portal so hard and take in these one year type guys. Silver lining, I think, is this forces them to play Jafari Harvey, who. Uh, yeah. Still has one game left to use. You know, they um, played him for one snap against Florida on punt. Then he got in against a little, I think, maybe a couple of defense special team snaps against North Carolina and then like a series or two against Bethune-Cookman. Um, so it will be good, I think, to just get him, uh, assuming he'll play. But, I mean, yeah, get him on the to- field. I mean... I don't know if he'll play. He's not going to play the snaps Trayvon was playing. Um, right. But, you know, 10 snaps. Get him 10 snaps. Wow, Chris Peterson is stepping down at Washington. <laughs> huh. just, just saw that on Twitter. <laughs> All right, let's talk recruiting before we wrap this thing up. Yeah. So it's, it's getting crunch time, right, Andrew? Um, you know. Miami picked up two commitments last week. I know you touched on it on a on a solo podcast with Jalen Knighton, the running back, local running back, four star guy committed, and then and Jalen Harrell, four star local safety, also committing. Um, you know, in your mind, I mean, this all happened before the Duke game. Do you think that result changes anything with those guys, or are they locked in? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think they're still. Uh, pretty committed. I actually think most of Miami's class somehow, some way is locked in and on board. Um, I spoke with Romello Height on on Sunday. Uh, I've talked to Tyler Van Dyke's dad. I've talked to Don Chaney's dad. Uh, I've talked to Jalen Harrell's coaches and, and the Oakleaf duo's family. And it, everyone seems to be pretty locked in. Like I know Miami ending the season the way they did with the two losses isn't a good look, but for some reason um, this group seems to be kind of bought in. And I don't know if that's because of Manny Diaz. I don't know if that's because um, they're just so sold and it, it's so late to kind of start looking around, but it seems like these guys are, are set. Now I, I will say that it'll be interesting to see who Florida state hires and, and when they make a hire, but I, I could see them trying to get involved with Jalen Knighton again. The sure. good news, I think, is if you're a Miami fan, FSU hasn't announced that hire yet. Uh, I think there's some speculation out there that they might be waiting for someone to finish their conference championship game like a Mike Norvell. So let's say if it was Mike Norvell, he's probably not going to hit the ground running until really next, what, Monday? Um, yeah. And then you know Miami's going to host Jalen Knighton on December 13th for his official visit because... Uh, Deerfield Beach lost to Miami Columbus. So, you know, what does Norvell get one face-to-face meeting? And then Manny's get, Manny Diaz is going to go in home as well. So uh, I I think the stars are kind of aligning for them to hold on to, to Jalen Knighton. But uh, that would be one interesting that, – that's the scenario to monitor. So there's no one else you're, you're kind of keeping a, a, a watchful eye on that's committed. Elijah Roberts was spotted, uh, the the four-star defensive lineman out of Miami Columbus. He was spotted um, on Black Friday in his game against Deerfield Beach. He's wearing like a a Florida Gators towel. But I spoke to his mom. They say they're locked in, like he's going to sign with Miami. So he's not one. Uh, Romello Height, the four-star defensive end, 
the edge rusher. He's got 18 sacks this season up in, up in Dublin, Georgia. He's a freak athlete. Like I heard some Auburn talk with him, but then he spoke to me uh, on Sunday, like I said, and, and kind of assured me that he's all Miami. And it's so different to hear a kid say that because most of the time down here in South Florida, like a kid will say one thing and then do the complete opposite. But I do think he's like legitimately sold on Miami and maybe that's that true cane that Miami's talking about. But right now um, I, I think everyone in the class is pretty solid and should sign with Miami unless Miami um, decides to rework the commit list a bit in, in order to make some more space and, I've mentioned it in the past, Antonio Smith's a guy that I don't expect them to sign. Um, and, and there might be another one or two, but right now everyone seems to be pretty pretty locked in. So who might be next? Are, who are you keeping an eye on that might be the next guy to jump on board? So the first name that jumps out is Jesus Machado. He's a three-star linebacker at Hialeah Champagnat Catholic. Uh, he landed an offer from... Miami on Sunday night, uh, Manny Diaz and Ephraim Banda are expected to be at his school on Tuesday. This is a kid who I think if Miami gives him the green light, he will absolutely commit on the spot. I think he uh, is in love with the Hurricanes. His coach was telling me that he was even considering trying to figure out how to walk on and, and, and get some financial aid to go to Miami. Um, doesn't have a lot of options out there right now. He's kind of a late bloomer, but he's had a pretty good season. So, if he were to get the green light, I think Miami would abs- he, you know, he would absolutely be at Miami. But Miami's tight on numbers right now. Um, they already have two linebackers committed: Tyreek Austin Cave, the three-star linebacker out of Camden High up in New Jersey. He's kind of a plus athlete. And then they got Corey Flagg, who doesn't have great testing numbers, but has been very productive at Houston North Shore there in Texas. And then they're also chasing after two other guys, Keyshawn Green, um, a, a rangy 4-4 uh, kid from Wakula, who's committed, currently committed to Florida State, and then Justin Flo, the five-star linebacker uh, out of California. So I don't think they're going to make a move on Machado until they kind of have an indication of where uh, Green and Flo are going. So what is the latest with Flo? Everyone wants to know. What <laughs> did he visit anywhere this weekend? Uh, do you have anything new with him? It's nothing really new. Um, you know, Miami will see him at some point this week. They're going to go out there and see him. He just spent the weekend at uh, Oregon on an official visit. I think Oregon is probably. Uh, the other team, Miami's really battling for Clemson in this recruitment. Like Georgia's kind of faded off. Um, USC, uh, I think they they might be able to get him in for a visit. But right now, it's kind of Clemson and Oregon are the biggest competition. Um, there's some rumors out there that things might not have gone great on that on that Clemson visit. But I was talking to someone that's pretty familiar with uh, Flo's camp the other day and. They think grandma and grandpa kind of like Clemson a little bit. So uh, we'll see. Um, but right now, I kind of expect him to be at Clemson unless something changes and, and he like is just absolutely in love with, with playing at Miami. You touched on him, but Keyshawn Green, the Florida State linebacker commit that Miami's trying to flip. Um, how good do you think? Do you, do you think Miami has a legitimate chance here? Uh, with Keyshawn Green, I yeah. do. Um, so I, I just playoff game on Friday. He was wearing Miami Hurricanes gloves. Uh, Miami sent defensive coordinator Blake Baker and Jonathan Packey to meet with him on Monday. They originally were trying to get him in on the 13th for an official visit. Now it looks like it's going to be this upcoming weekend, the sixth. Uh, he's saying the right things. My only hesitation is he's never been in Coral Gables before. So I think that there's there's a reason to kind of hesitate there. and um, But we've seen kids in the past go to other schools one time and commit and sign there and, and play and then make the NFL. So uh, we'll see that kind of same timeline I was I was bringing up with Jalen Knighton that, that would apply to Keyshawn Green. Like, right. I think the longer that Florida State doesn't have a head coach here, the better that is for Miami. Uh, but if Miami's able to get him on campus this weekend and absolutely hit the home run out of the park, that's going to make it really hard on the Seminoles um, to to kind of to kind of lock him up. 
Tell us who else is is going to visit this weekend, maybe for for Miami. So there's two other names uh, so far that we've we've kind of confirmed. The first one is Kobe Baines, a three-star offensive lineman out of Jacksonville Sandalwood. He's currently committed to Louisville, but was offered by the Hurricanes a few weeks ago. I think he's probably more of an interior guy than he is an exterior lineman like a tackle, but uh, he can he can play multiple spots on the line. Um, my concern with him is he's got a knee injury that he's kind of still rehabbing, but he is an early enrollee candidate uh, and who will participate in spring football wherever he goes. So he's someone that I, as the cycle has gone on and phone calls have been made, it seems like he's the offensive lineman that the Hurricanes are really trying to flip and pay, pair with Jalen Rivers and Chris Washington. The other one is Devontae Brown, a cornerback out of Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale American Heritage, excuse me. He, uh, was a late bloomer that had an excellent season down here in South Florida. Just took an official visit to Minnesota. He's also been at Cincinnati and Virginia. Miami thinks he's a real polished, or, or I'm sorry, I'm talking about his, <laughs> his teammate Douglas Million. I, I blanked out there for a second. So Devontae Brown, corner out of American Heritage. He's a lengthy corner, uh, can run a little bit. Actually, he can run really well. Um, he's got the size and he's comfortable in man coverage. His dad played at Miami back in the in the late 80s, Selvin Brown. Um, so he's a guy that Miami kind of wants as the co- high school corner in the class. So he's going to be on campus. Um, UCF, Syracuse, Pittsburgh, they all seem to be the biggest competition. So those are the two official visitors to know right now. Are we on commit watch with those guys this weekend? or Oof, we'll Possible. Possible. We'll see. I think the one... Out of all those I mentioned is Baines. I think Miami could really make a move with him, and I think he he's going to look at that depth chart and think that, hey, maybe some playing time's available. What do you feel like uh, Devontae Brown's waiting for in terms of jumping on board with Miami? What's going on there? Oh, this is going to be a little hot take, <laughs> uh, but I heard this from, from someone a few weeks ago. I think he wants to know if Mike Rump is going to be retained and like if Mike Rump's going to be on staff and why might people think why, why does that matter? Well, remember last year, Mike Rump was really the last kind of guy that my Manny announced that he was bringing back. You know, it was, it was Ephraim Banda and, and Jonathan Packy. Those guys were, were definitely coming back, but um, Jess Simpson and Mike Rump were the, the ones that Manny kind of waited on. So I think his family wants to just, have some assurance that there's not going to be much changes on the defensive side of the ball. Like that would kind of be, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that would kind of be the thing that, or what I believe he wants to know. And let me ask you one more about, um, so five-star tight end Darnell Washington, right? He was probably the big visitor of this year's paradise camp. He's a guy from Las Vegas. Um, I know you've alluded in the past maybe Miami wasn't going to get him in on an official visit. Is that still the case? Uh, what Just in general, what's going on there? Is Miami still a threat with Darnell Washington? Um, Yeah. Uh, there was talk of him getting out to Oregon this past weekend for an official visit. That didn't happen. So now he's got two official visits left. Uh, and, and two weekends to use them. So he's already been to Georgia, he's already been to Alabama, and he's already been to Florida. It looks like these final two visits are going to go to Tennessee in uh, Miami, and I think Miami will be that December 13th one. I think the Hurricanes are, are still fighting a bit of an uphill battle right here, but they're they're in it, and I think they're okay. going to do everything they can to kind of just show him um, that they want to throw him the ball and whatnot. Who do you perceive as the team to beat? Oof, that's a good question. I think maybe uh, Georgia or Alabama. Those are the two I, I would want. All right, okay. Those are the two I would say. Okay. Anything else recruiting-wise we're, we're missing on? I know they're visiting a lot of guys this week. Um, any, no, no, anything I mean, that's else? Kind of, that's just kind of a brief rundown of what they got going on. We've, we've had up on the site pretty much, I don't know, since Sunday, every visit that Miami and them have made. Um, and it's not going to stop. I mean, just kind of with how the recruiting calendar is played out, you've got two weeks to see everyone before the things go dead. So you have to be very efficient 
assuming that you're going to host official visitors on those two weekends, like Manny Diaz basically has to see 20 commits and, and 10 targets uh, in really eight days. And he's been, he's been churning and burning. Uh, so we'll see how they finish, but it's, I, I'm a bit surprised just, just how well it's going given how things the season ended, yeah. but that should be a good sign for Like if you're a Miami fan, that's a good sign. That means the staff uh, can, can somewhat recruit. So in your opinion, I mean, it didn't help, of course, but maybe the momentum necessarily isn't isn't bad right now with their recruiting efforts. Is that fair to say, considering they lost to FIU and Duke? No, not what I thought. If that uh, right, th- right, like I, I I thought it'd be pretty bad, right? Or it could it could have been bad. I'll say this compared to how. The season ended last year. I just feel like it's a lot different in terms of the vibes I'm getting from the current commits. Okay. Um, we'll see how the official visits go because last year I think one of the issues is there was such a bad attitude uh, and feeling inside Miami's locker room that when they get when the recruits got around the players, it it didn't give off the right vibe, and Miami lost out on some recruiting battles because of that. Um, you know, the players weren't telling the, the kids what they wanted to hear. So we'll see if that's the case this time around. But I, it, it, it might not be like, you right. know, I, that's we'll that full. Yeah, that full locker, that locker room might not be lost yet. If, if, if and whatnot. And, and I, I do think I see a lot of players, you know, tweeting out about working out with David Feely and stuff like that. And Manny right. did make that comment as well, that he thinks they needed to ch- make that change. And, it seems like they've done that. So, um, or I guess I'm in wait, wait and see mode there. So we're recording this on Cyber Monday. Uh, tell them about the deal that we have. It's 75% off for an annual VIP subscription. So that comes out to, what, 27 bucks, I think, for basically you're paying for Andrew's great recruiting coverage. Um, you know, 27 bucks for a year of it, I think... You know, if you're listening to this on Cyber Monday and, you know, between us, that deal will extend into Tuesday. But you didn't hear that from me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think if you guys want to jump on board with this recruiting stuff, 27 bucks gets you a full year. Uh, I would highly recommend it. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, I mean, that's a that's a way to kind of support it. Um, subscribe to the website inside the and you know, take advantage of that great deal. There's not going to be a better deal any time of year than 75% off an annual subscription to our website. So like I said, if, if you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, uh, you know, maybe do us a favor and take advantage <laughs> of that Cyber Monday deal. Well, you, why don't you point out, David, that this is the, the biggest the site has ever been, right? Yeah, no, the site's growing. Um, so that's exciting. Um, you know, so I think the people lot, that are on the fence are, are jumping on board. So a lot of people are taking advantage and, you know, our community certainly is growing. It's fun. A lot of great discussion on the message board. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully more of you decide to jump on board. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next time. Take care.